0: from Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Will you pray with me? Father, we just thank you that miracles can happen and they do. That people who didn't believe in you come to believe in you. And God, we just want to pray through this church for the miracle of increase growth spiritual growth numerical growth for the kingdom of god and we pray for patrick this morning that just as he delivers the word from this chapter to us that you would anoint him by the holy spirit and be our teacher this morning in jesus mighty name amen you may be seated good morning church Hey, I want to start something off. I like revealing a little bit about myself any Sunday I get to preach. I didn't play sports in junior high. I played sports in elementary school. I played football in high school. I played lacrosse in college. But for some reason, those two years in junior high, I, I didn't. I didn't like baseball. I wasn't good at it. But at the end of my eighth grade year, about to go into my freshman year of high school, I went up to my mom, and all I said was, I want to play football. Oh, you should have seen the stark look on her face. Like, this is not going to go well. Like if you look at a platypus, you look and say, that looks odd. That's an odd looking animal. If you were to imagine me with football pads as an eighth grader, you would have said the same thing. That looks odd. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work out too well. Well, three, fast forward three years, my senior year, I was asked to be the team captain and it worked out really well. And then one Sunday I was across the street. So my grandparents and aunt and uncle lived across the street. It's the family compound. And we were having lunch on Sunday. And we were all talking. I don't know how the discussion came up, but they all revealed to me they essentially had bets on how long I was going to last that first year. (laughs) And it wasn't like a true bet, like he's going to last two days or four days. It was within the first two weeks, mind you. Because Hell Week would start, I would wake up at 5.30. We had practice started at 6. It would go to 10. It was supposed to end at 10, but it really went to 10.30. And then we'd take a nap and eat some lunch and come back at 2.30 and then go all the way to about six thirty, seven 7 o'clock. That was for two weeks we did that growing up. And all along, my family thought there was no way. But I grew because of it. I had some adversity in my life, and I had my, my uncle, who's a high school football coach, was a champion. He was good at encouraging me, and I made it much of the the surprise of my family. So that's what I come out of, okay? It's not that they doubted me. They just doubted that that's what I really wanted or could do it, certainly. And so this morning, there's a bit of a challenge that I realized that this story aids us in experiencing, which is the church is going to either grow or fade when it meets adversity. It's going to either increase and grow and and rise to meet the challenge and the pressure that's put upon it, or it's going to fade away. And to this point, All the pressure has been exerted. It has been religious opposition. It's been external, pressing upon the church. And as we've seen, what Luke has told us is as the pressure presses in, the church grows because of it. That's the reaction. We go in and out. Pressure, growth, pressure, growth, pressure, growth. So up until this point, the pressure has been external. Our little passage this morning is pressure coming from within. It's internal. Is that me? So this whole sound system is getting replaced. It's its final fit. It's throwing its, throwing its final uh, fits at us today. So we're going to enjoy it together. Okay, this is our pressure this morning is this sound system, and we're going to grow. So as we develop and as we grow, I want to ask you a question. Have you experienced growth when adversity of pressure has been put upon you? I was able to grow because I played football and I had to do the, uh, the hard, difficult thing of waking up every morning as a high schooler. Even though I wanted to quit, I wasn't allowed to quit in my own mind. And so what we want to discover this morning, as the gospel advances, God develops and deploys servant leaders to meet the church's growing needs. As the gospel advances, God develops and deploys you and me. He's going to call you and I as servant leaders to help meet the needs that are going to pop up throughout the church. They're going to creep up. Someone will see it. Someone will not see it. Leaders will see it. Sometimes leaders don't see it. But as the gospel advances in this community and within our own heart, servant leaders are going to, be, are going to rise up to answer the needs. And so this morning, I want you to contemplate. Are you serving? Are you active in this body, in this church? I'm, I'm getting advised to do this. There we go. So the opportunity that we have this morning is to look at the early church's example of how when internal pressure arose, they rose to meet it. Will you pray with me? Father God, I ask for a blessing upon this morning. Will your spirit preach to us, speak to us, convey to us the ways in which you're calling us to serve and to love this body. Help us to remove the barriers and the blocks, whether it be in our mind, in our heart, or our desires, to want to serve you and in your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to kick things off by simply saying a growing church is a needy church. A growing church is a needy church that has an initial negative connotation. I have no intention of meaning it that way. I just mean it very plain. A growing church has needs. And as a church grows uh, faithfully and numerically, needs are going to crop up. They're going to pop up. And that was true of the first century church. Look with me in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days... The disciples were increasing in number. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebratic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So in those days, in the days of preaching and proclaiming the gospel, many people were coming to faith. People were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread and fellowship. These are good, exciting things. They were fascinating. Thousands upon thousands have come to faith. And so we had a church that started at the beginning of the book of 120 people, and now we have well over 10,000, if not more, in exceeding number. Well, that's going to create a problem. And so what they began to recognize is within us is coming from something. The church overlooked Hellenistic or Greek-speaking widows. Their welfare was somehow falling through the cracks in the daily distribution of food and money. God, but God has consistently directed care, protection, and provision towards widows in the Old Testament, and Jesus renews it in the New Testament. So this is something the church had ought to be doing. This shouldn't have been happening where widows are being excluded, but notice this is what makes it sting a little bit more. Not every widow was being missed. It was just a select subgroup of widows that was being missed. See, in different cultures, as they come to faith, the fledgling church, guess what was beginning to arise? Lines of division. As all the different cultures and people in Jerusalem were coming to faith, different lines to divide over began to crop up and they had to deal with it. We had one crop up over this last year that I had no idea. If you were to tell me when I was going through seminary that a division line would be masks in a church, I would have laughed you out of the building. Like, that's crazy. Why would we divide over that? But there was good reasons for us to be concerned from one side or the other. Those lines crept up, and as leaders in the church, we had to recognize, how do we deal with this? How do we navigate everything, the iceberg that it is below it? That took time and effort. But it all started because people began to speak up. What does it say that these Greek-speaking widows did? They complained. They complained. They grumbled. That's the literal translation of the word. They were grumbling. But you know what's really interesting? They communicated. It was not internal grumbling. It was external That makes a big difference in the life of the church. Brothers and sisters, if you recognize a need in the body and you don't see it being met and you don't communicate it and you get frustrated and grumpy about it, you'll eventually disappear. And the church won't be able to grow. See, in in this body, I am grateful in reading this that the complaint was given to the people that could do something about it. And they involved other people in the process. We have to ask the question, why did these widows get missed? Why were they overlooked? Was it some nefarious action going on? Was it a bona fide... uh, Dang it, I forgot. What is the word I'm thinking of? Condemnation for diaspora Jews. I have this thing in my head where if I... I have to say the wrong word before I can say the right one. (laughs) The diaspora Jews who now believe? Is that what Luke's saying? That there was actual animosity within the church between the different cultural lines? Over the language barrier? I don't think that's the case. Instead Luke's simple account points points towards unaddressed favoritism and familiarity as the cause of this crisis. It's easier to love and to minister to people you are like. The new apostolic administration hasn't encountered this yet, this challenge of a language problem. And it cr- it had to rise to the occasion to meet this challenge to carry out its mission. If this wasn't addressed, we'd have two churches right in the beginning. They would have separated. They would have gone different ways. And so I have to ask another question. How much effort does it take to create disunity in the church or inequality in the church? How much does it take? It doesn't take much. All it takes is a little misunderstanding. A couple years ago after I was preaching at my last church I thought I did a great job. It was awesome. It was a fun sermon. I think we were in the book of First Peter, which is a great book. And this lady came up to me in the courtyard, and I, I could just tell by her demeanor that she had a bone to pick. I mean, she had like a slight grin on, but her head was tilted. So internally, I was going, all right, let's get ready for this. Something's coming and a nice little pleasantry started things off All she said was I really enjoyed your sermon, but and the but was really long It just kind of led into but you're always looking to the left You're looking at your wife and all the pretty people and you're not looking at me and Oh, I was so caught off guard. What do I address the pretty people comment or the looking one? Like I don't I don't know You're pretty too See, in that that moment, she had this misunderstanding that I was choosing not to look at her because that's where the unattractive people sit. Now, she was right. I love looking at my wife. Wherever she's sitting, I will always find her. But you know what? I love looking at people who look back at me. See, in the church, it was an old school church with pews, and to the left was an overflow. And I mean left, I mean stage left. I'd have to look this way and then this way, and that's where her and my friends did sit. Well, she hadn't communicated that for a long time, so she was like mad and upset. Had she just told me, hey, can you look back here? That would be nice every once in a while. So I went back and watched the video. I actually did look over there, but I didn't look at her maybe. In fact, that sermon had something very unique in it where me and the guy that sat behind her had a disagreement, a friendly one, and he was shaking his head when I said the comment and I was nodding, smiling like I'm the (laughs) preacher today, buddy. I get to say it. It wasn't over anything major or theological. But that being said, that small miscommunication and misunderstanding created a potential dividing line. Just where I look. When I watch the video uh, of me preaching, I look to the right, I look to the left. I'm sorry, I rarely stay in tuned in the middle here. I apologize. I want to keep looking. Just keep looking at me. That'll be help. But did you know there was inequality in this church over the past year that had to be addressed that we didn't recognize at the beginning? It's the inequality of care. There are people who've been watching at home over the past year who have been unable to experience the same level of fellowship and intimacy that you and I've had since July. And brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. We missed it, but I'm so thankful there was like the widows, people who spoke up and, and grumbled nicely. They, they, you shared with us where we've been missing an opportunity to care for you. And so the opportunity came for the elders to call and to check in with people routinely throughout the year. It was a crisis that we had over the year. There was a need that was realized, and once it was communicated, the church recognized a way in which we could meet it. It was a blessing. We're not good at calling and going through and checking. We didn't need that a year ago, but we need it now. And so I'm thankful for those of you at home who spoke up and used the opportunity to help us grow, because a growing church is a needy church. But I have to ask a question. Are all needs equal? Do all needs require the time, talents, and resources of the church? The answer is no. Not every need can be met by this church. And so how do we go about determining what needs we direct our time, talent, and resources to? That's why God gave us a mission statement as a church. This is our guiding line. This is our principle. If it doesn't fall under this umbrella, we have to learn to say no. So the mission of Christ Community Church is to gather disciples who worship in spirit and in truth, who grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and who go in the world proclaiming the gospel. If a need does not fit under that umbrella, we have to learn to say no. Saying yes in ministry is easy. Saying no is difficult because you're not just saying no to a need. It's often to another person. It's a relationship that this is grounded upon. And so we have to take people through the process. But say, because that umbrella is actually really big, and a lot can fit under that mission statement of a need and something we should address, how do we say yes to it wisely? Well, we have to have leaders in place to help carry out that need. If a need is communicated and something can be done about it, but there's no person to involve themselves in it, we have to either say not yet Or no. And so, what did the church experience in this moment as the growth is radiating, as the glamour and the excitement of people getting saved every day, problems and lines of division start creeping up? And so, the new apostolic administration, trying to figure this out apart from Jesus, but infused with the Spirit, recognized something we need to call an all church meeting. How do we solve the problem of the needs when they creep up? We call upon leaders, we develop leaders. A growing church develops servant leaders. Look at me in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom you can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles gather the whole church, and for the first time in the book of Acts, Luke calls the gathered church all disciples. That's the first time we are referred to as disciples, not as the twelve. Not just the twelve get that. And so with the apostles gathered together, they recognize they're not too busy to address the problem, but they also communicate we're not the ones to fix the problem. And so in one way, we have to ask a question. Are they inadvertently creating inic- um, Inequality by trying to solve inequality in another way? Are they, certain, are they saying to the church there that we're above the responsibility of caring for widows? Are they unintentionally communicating that they are superior and the widows are inferior? Why do they say we are to preach and to pray, but we're not supposed to wait on tables? What's, what's being communicated? I think it's quite the opposite. They're not sharing and showing that they're superior and the widows are inferior. They're actually acknowledging their own limitations. We can't do it all. We cannot meet every need. See, the 12 have a clear calling from the Lord to lead the church in preaching and in prayer. That is what he has called them to do. So did they stroke their long beards when they heard this going like, "Mm, that's really fascinating that you have this problem of widows being missed. That's really nice. Uh, Next, please. No, they didn't. They called an all-church meeting. They brought the disciples together. They were going to figure it out together. And so this dilemma of, uh, that the need presented, on one hand, caring for the poor and the destitute cannot negate the preaching of the word. So caring for the poor and the destitute cannot negate preaching the word. On the other hand, we can't preach the word and not practice it. So what do we do? The solution is simple. Let's deploy leaders. Let's add more people to the ranks. Let's give people more authority, more responsibility. And so the apostles know their time and energy are limited resources and best devoted to their calling. With all the people gathered together in their mind, they must have thought somebody here somewhere could solve this problem. And so successful church ministry is a team effort. And our church, like theirs, depends on servant leaders. And so how do we deploy leaders to meet needs? We have to start with what are, what's the qualifications for being a servant leader? Luke tells us right here. He gives us three. Now the term servant here or to serve is where we'll eventually get the office of deacon. But here, this isn't being set up like that. This is the initial response. So these are the initial qualifications. These are the broad qualifications to be a servant leader. And I believe they're true to this day. First, the qualification for a servant leader is to be spirit filled. Disciples of Jesus with the fruit of the Spirit evident in their, in their life. So the first qualification, do you believe and have you seen personal growth? Are the fruits of the Spirit evident? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I know there's another one I'm forgetting. Faithfulness, thank you. <laughs> Second, are they of good reputation? Living above reproach, the people they serve know and approve of them. Do people know you? One of the main things I think about when someone wants to become a leader in the church is who do they know so I can ask about who they are. That's really important. Be known. We want you to serve and to be involved in this body. Be known. Invest yourself in relationships. Have a good reputation. Last, a qualification for leader is being wise or having wisdom. And specifically, spiritual wisdom aligning with the ministry's needs. So in caring for the widows, the poor and the destitute, in this context, what wisdom do they need to know or have or possess? I think administration. If you're uh, administering either food or funds, you have to be able to way to categorize it, make sure people get the right amount, it's fair. So you need uh, the gift of administration. You need wisdom in that. I think you also need wisdom in how to be relational. How to say no to somebody when they're asking for too much or when it's gone too far. These are all things that fall under servant leadership. Are you wise in the area you're called to serve? For preaching, it would be the ability to read and discern what the scriptures are teaching. And so we have these qualifications and they're pretty fascinating. They're fun. But then how do we do it? How do you become a servant leader? Well, the philosophy that we have as a church is actually really simple. It's recruit, train, and deploy. And so let's start with the first one. What's our philosophy for developing servant leaders? What would we encourage you to join us in? And the first is to be recruited. This is where we call believers to use their gifting to build up the body as servant leaders. Recruiting happens in a lot of different ways. It can happen by someone asking you to be a part of it, or can be asking someone I think you would be good in fill in the blank. You know what? You're a really awesome encourager. I love when you encourage the people around you. Have you thought of, Doing this. It's happened to me. In my junior year of high school, someone said to me, I think you can be in ministry. Have you considered going into full time church ministry? Heck no, I didn't think of that. That was for people who got up in front and talked in front of a bunch of people. That ain't for me. I'm not down for that. And over the course of a year, that seed was planted, began to sprout until someone came to me the junior, uh, my freshman year of college. Two weeks in, we would like you to be the junior high director at our church. Uh, sure, that sounds fun. Let's do that. That's playing games. That's running around, being ran. Like I, I didn't, the whole understanding of what went into ministry was absent of my mind, but they asked me anyways. I don't know why but i said yes because someone planted a seed earlier. well many of you a seed has been planted long ago that is beginning to afflict you in some way. you are being recruited but first and foremost it's by the holy spirit. it's not by me. we may recognize something in you or someone else may be recognizing you and recruiting you but that's our first mess uh, first line in our philosophy we, we're recruiting We're always looking for more people, not because we want to add to our numbers, but because we know your joy is in serving the Lord, using your gift. But then the next thing in our philosophy, it's train. To train you up. Equipping servant leaders with the appropriate skills and knowledge to lead well. I was not well equipped when I started ministry. I didn't know much. But over the course of 13, 14 years, I've had faithful people in my life, whether it be school, whether it be mentors, help me along the way giving me wisdom and insight pitfalls to avoid some of my own that I created that they had to help me out of. Well, the same is true as we jump into ministry. You're not going to be perfect. It's the willingness of your attitude that will lead to you being equipped. What's your attitude like when you step into ministry? Are you, are you teachable? Are you trainable? Are you interested in other people's feedback? Shoot? I got feedback after my first sermon out there about something I need to say and to correct. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it because it came from Daniel and he's a great friend. And he was right. I have a teachable attitude. I know it's a weird saying. It's kind of boasty, but I have to have that in order to be up here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be allowed to preach. And so being equipped as servant leaders is something that you will go through if you want to be a servant leader. You will not be left alone to go fill a room and then be left alone. That's not going to happen. I'm sure that does happen, but that is not our philosophy. That is not what we're working towards. Last, and this is my favorite, deploy. Empowering leaders with the authority to fulfill their calling. We want to give you ministry. We want to give you the opportunity to minister in the unique way in which God has created you and called you. You know what this essentially says? We're not going to micromanage your ministering and your service. My sermons aren't micromanaged because we trust one another to a, to an extent where we know the Lord is working through us and will speak through us uniquely Well, the same goes for whether you're serving in a classroom, a community group, whether you're greeting people. You can greet by saying howdy partner or hello. We don't have a a line in which you have to say. We want to empower you. We want to give you responsibility. And with that should come some authority to administer well. So recruit, train, and deploy. That's what we want to do. But the time to develop into a leader is based upon the calling, the opportunity, or the needs requirement. All of these levels of becoming a bona fide servant leader, they differ for any and everyone. It's not going to be the same. The key to me in recognizing is time and humility, though. What time are you willing to invest? And are you humble enough to be perfected by the Lord to serve him well? Exceptional service takes time and humility. I used to tell my students that all the time. The difference between you and me is time and humility. Don't think that you can't reach a place in your faith and walk with the Lord because I am somehow anointed to have a a greater and more special faith. False. Through time and humility, the Lord has brought me to where I am today and he's doing the same for you and me. We're on the same hike, just different parts of the journey. And so we need community group leaders. Who can open their home to study the scriptures with other people. We need classroom leaders who are willing to equip people with specific knowledge and understanding of parts of God's word. We need ushers and greeters to welcome and make people feel connected. We need children's uh, uh, church leaders who want to invest in children. Not to babysit, but to train them up in righteousness. Show them the joy of what it is to follow the Lord. By using flannel graphs, if you will. We, we, we need leaders. We're not desperate for them. We need them because we need this church to grow and to meet the needs we already have. And so is the Lord calling you to servant leadership? I know many of you have been recruited and have turned something down or you think I'm too busy. I have too much going on. There is not enough margin in my life to serve. False. That is the crisis. That is the pressure and the challenge that will result in growth. He's given you a gift. Are you using it? Well that brings up a really good question then, how do I start this process? So say you are being called and you do know, where should I go? Where should I start? Should I call the pastor? Should I give him a phone call and we can walk down that list? That's a great way. That's not a bad way. But you know what I think is a really good way? Find a leader who's already been deployed and ask them what it's like to serve. Because after a growing church recruits leaders, a growing church deploys leaders. Acts chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch, and they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. You hear this awesome thing? Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole company? This is how we know that the apostles aren't creating disunity amongst the ranks. They hear one thing. We get to be a part of the process. We brought this problem before them, and guess what? They're asking us to help solve it. They trust us enough to be a part of it. So the apostles called the church to action, and the church responded by selecting seven men. Each of their names are given in the Greek. Some, I think some indication that they're all Greek speakers. Well, who better to minister to Greek-speaking widows than fellow Greek speakers who know their need? These men have good reputation. They're filled with the Spirit. They're wise concerning the need. So the apostles entrust trust them with ministry. And they give them the authority to carry it out. The responsibility is met with authority. That's what we wish to do when we deploy you. If we've, we've asked you to be responsible for an area of ministry, well, we want to give you authority in order to do it. We are interested in giving ministry away. Because we know there's joy in serving the Lord to the capacity that He's given us. And so the, the apostles gave it away. We want to give it away. I've been a part of too many churches that didn't give away ministry, that held on to it too tightly by saying, This is the way it ought to be done. You need to serve like me. And eventually what happens is they hold on to it with a death grip, and then they die, and the, the church dies with them. Brothers and sisters, if you're currently serving, who's your replacement? Who are you wanting to develop or recruit, train, and deploy? Who, who do you want to do that? We're giving ministry away. We want to replicate this in you. And so the apostles gave ministry away, and it's a church model that we continue to dispense. But with going out requires something that we think we must know, which is our gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to make actually more clear, we are the gift to the church how has the Lord called us to be a gift? In what area of ministry are we a gift? Well, Paul writes in Ephesians, explaining the inner working of the church relationship and giving the ministry away by helping others recognize their gift. He says them in Ephesians four eleven through 13. And he, being Christ, and he gave himself, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. God has called the leaders of this church, the elders and pastors, to equip the greater body of believers to carry out the ministry using their gifts. And so I want to give you a quick definition of what a servant leader is because I want to dispel some um, miscommunication when it comes to serving in the church. First, a servant leader... Is anyone using their spirit-given gift to the mature, the Christ, mature the church into Christ likeness? So a question comes out of this. The reason why I want to give this statement, do you need a title to be a servant leader in the church? Do you need to be a small group leader? Do you need that title? Do you need to be an usher or a greeter? Do you need to be a children's ministry worker or teacher? No. You don't need a title to build up the body into the fullness of Christ. You need to use your gift faithfully. Some people in here have the gift of hospitality. You don't have that title, but you are hospitable, and anyone you sit around and talk to, you make them feel warm and welcome in your presence. You don't need a title for that. And so some of the ways in which you're gifted and serving doesn't have a title. That doesn't mean you're not serving. It means it would be helpful to know for yourself, how are you called to serve? How are you a gift? And so he says to the church again in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 7. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God who works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. You are the gift of the church. You don't have a gift to give the church. You are the gift. Each of you who knows Christ has a gift to steward well, First Peter tells us. Those who speak, to speak well. To those who serve, who serve well. And so many of you in here are already servant leaders, actively serving and understand the nature of your recruiting, your training, and your deploying. And you can rejoice in that. You find great joy, which is why you continue to do it. Why you come back to it, or why when you've been taken out of it for a number of uh, days, months, weeks, years, that you recognize, I'm missing something and I need to go back to it. For others in here, within you is the full potential of servant leadership, just waiting to be unleashed. But on some of us, we're stopping that prog- progression towards being servant leaders because we don't know our gift. I'm, I've heard that question time and time again how do I discover my gift of the Spirit? How do I do that? So I think it's worth our time this morning to walk through how we do that. How do we discover our gift so that I can serve well? The first way you start is to know yourself. Read with me in Romans chapter 12, verse three. "For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one of you, Paul is calling the church to consider the way in which God has created us, made us uniquely. Do you know yourself? In relationship to knowing your gift, well, here's some simple questions. We love talking about ourselves, so I'm sure we love to think about ourselves, okay? So these questions are designed to help you think about yourself. What are your strengths? What are your talents? What do you do that is not considered work? What do you enjoy doing? Can they be used to help and assist others in the church? That's a great, simple way to start. There are talents that you've been given and gifted with that can involve themselves in the life of the church. Now, that initial statement may say, it's only what I'm good at. I want a, another little revelation. I didn't play sports in junior high. I'm in another one. It's a little bit of a confession. I don't like doing announcements. <laughs> I know I have the title of pastor of announcements, but preferably I would like to give that away. <laughs> but no one wants it. They just say, you're too good at it. When Daniel does it, he has a panic attack. Ryan, when he does it, he comes out crying. (laughs) And so I step in to care for my brothers. (laughs) So it's not necessarily you like to do it, but there are ways in which you find joy in serving the Lord. Announcements, I'm learning to find joy in serving the Lord. And so, as you go about the discovering of yourself, time, talents, resources, what you have within those might be the very place in which you can begin serving. But that's not all. Next, listen to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Are you in tune with the Spirit to discern where he's leading? Do you commune with him in such a way that you know that he's laid something on your head and your heart that you can't shake, but you must pursue? Think of the seed that was planted in my life in junior high. I would not have considered myself to be a preacher in front of hundreds of people because I stumble over my words continually through my whole life. The way I write, the way I think, the way I speak... But I know I'm called and gifted to serve because I experience great joy when I get down. If I were to avoid preaching, I know that I would be convicted by the Holy Spirit to saying, why are you not following me? Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is communing with us, communicating to us where we should serve. Has he placed a need in your perspective that only you see and you haven't done anything with it? Is there a group of people who you think I ought to say that, do that, help them? And haven't done it yet? Have you been awake trying to go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, and so for some reason the Holy Spirit puts your mind on something and you cannot go to bed until you're done thinking about it? That was last night for me. I know the Lord wants me to think about it because I wasn't thinking about it during the day. I was avoiding it during the day, so I had to stay up at night. I'm sure many of you have had that experience. Know yourself and listen to the Spirit. And next, I think this is pivotal. Those two work great, but the third one is what makes it come to life. Involvement in the life of the church. Let me reveal something to you. You don't need to know your gifts before you serve. You don't. Did the early church have a spiritual gifts test that they took to discern their gifts? No. Needs popped up and people met it. They started serving. They saw one another in need and took care of them. And they received great joy in doing so. And that confirmed that that's the area of service that they should take. I think taking spiritual gifts inventory; Tori, those are great, but they're not gospel. They're a place to start to help you discern where to go, but they are not the final thing. And two, within the body, people have already served. We can see one another, whether you're gifted in it, whether you're called. There's been someone in my life that's a great encourager. And I say, you have the gift of encouragement. They're astounded that I would even say that to them but they have the gift. Everyone there around, they encourage, they strengthen, they build up until the measure and the fullness of Christ. And so this uh, paradigm that the apostles created, a need arose in the church. They recruited leaders and they deployed leaders. How do we know that that's effective? How do we know that this is the way a church ought to function? I think it's the approval that Luke is consistently giving through the gospel. Look with me in uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. So the word of God spread. What was, what, what was the dilemma at the beginning of this? The apostle said we can't give up doing what? Preaching the word. We can't do that. We can't stop that. And so they rose up these leaders. Well, what does he give us? He says, so the word of God spread. Guess what? The preaching continued. And what was the result of it? The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And the word spread so much that a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Preaching had to continue, and the body needed caring for. And so they took the responsibilities and delegated them to the people who can. We want to raise up servant leaders. We want to encourage and to call you to servant leadership. And so today, as you walk out, I have five applications. I want you to land on one of them for you. I don't know where you're at, but as you hear them, I want you to identify this is what I need to meditate on and bring to the Lord. First, know our mission. I hope everyone can commit the mission of Christ Community Church to memory. There are so many opportunities to divide and to factionalize over misunderstandings or unintended wrongdoings. We can aid one another and help one another and be charitable with one another when we remember why we are gathering together in the first place. Why are we here? And so to commit to memory, I would love for you to log it away. The mission of Christ Community Church is to gather disciples who grow, uh, who worship in spirit and truth, who grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and who go into the world proclaiming the gospel. If you and I could hold on to that, then we will be enabled to be charitable with our brothers and sisters. When needs arise, when grievances come up, we will be humble and able to communicate and to uh, come back together when needed. Know our mission. Second, communicate needs and stick around to meet them. Man, the Greek-speaking community communicated a missed need and they stuck around to be a part of the solution. If the Lord makes you or I aware of a need... To bring before one another or the church or the board. Please don't just do a drive-by dropping of needs and say, cool, deal with it. As if there's not already a lot going on. There's a reason why you recognize it and we missed it. Please stick around to be a part of the solution to help meet it. Maybe that means stepping out of one ministry and into another. That's okay. That happens. We grow. Gifts often change and mature. So please don't communicate needs. Stick around and help us solve them. Be a part of the solution because I bet that your joy in being part of that solution will be greater in it than apart from it. Next, answer the call to serve. I want to make something very clear. I'm no longer burdened at the thought of asking people to help. It sounds like uh, you're just bold. Actually, here's what I know. If you've been, a gift, been given a gift to the church and are not serving, I know your experience and joy in the church and with the Lord is somehow muted. So regardless of how busy you are, how much time you have and the margin, I'm willing to offer you this to you because that's the crisis the Lord wants you to walk through. What is it going to take for me to offload something so that I can unload what he's calling me to do? Answer the call to serve. Next, for those who are serving... Answer the call to equip. I mentioned this question already in the sermon, but I want you to ask it. If you are currently serving in some capacity in the church, I want you to ask yourself, who's my replacement? Who's coming after me? Who can I lead, train, and develop to step in my shoes? Knowing full well that they're not going to do it exactly like you, and that's okay, but empowering them with the ability to lead, finding the same joy you are. I do this in my community group. I don't ask them to lead. I just say, hey, next week I want you to do this. I am training my replacements already. Kristen is my replacement for announcements. (laughs) She didn't know it, but it's coming. (laughs) Answer the call to equip. Give ministry your way. Last but not least, have a heart of reconciliation. As the church grew and initial problems came to the surface, they offended each other, but the offended were willing to reconcile. We have to do that, brothers and sisters. We have to be willing to reconcile. We believe in a God of reconciliation. That was his ministry to us through his son. That's what Paul says to us. We have one message. Be reconciled to God. We are the image of reconciliation. And this church can can do it. It has done it. And it will do it again. And so as we meet the needs and interact with one another and serve one another, have a heart of reconciliation. This was Paul's intention when he established 1 Corinthians 11, communion. Jesus says it must be ongoing, but this is why he brings it up in 1 Corinthians. There's inequality within the church, just like there was early on. The inequality in the church at this point was because the communion table, the event of communion within the church turned into some drunken dinner party. And Paul scolding them, but the most glaring thing in it was because the poor who couldn't bring their own food could not participate in communion. And he was scolding them, how dare you do this? How dare you keep people from the table? Those that can partake and have already trusted in the Lord. And so brothers and sisters, as we take communion this morning, I want you to be reconciled. If we're to guard this table, first and foremost, it's for those who believe. We want all to partake, but not all can If you place your faith in Christ, you can take communion. If not, there's no shame. We ask you to consider your relationship with Christ. But second, if there are ways in which we have disfellowshipped with another, we have grieved another, Paul says be reconciled. Leave your gift at the altar, whether it's a text message, a phone call, or stepping out, or just with abstaining for today, that's okay. But the point is within the church, when a need arose, they met it. But there is always the greatest need of continually coming back to the Lord, seeking his forgiveness because we've already been restored in the finished work of Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we ask for a blessing to be upon our time of communion. Help us to be reconciled to you. Bring to remembrance the things that we have done, the ways in which we have grieved your spirit or committed sin, and help us to acknowledge and to release those and place those at your feet and then help us and draw our mind to the goodness of your new covenant, the reconciliation of life with you and the indwelling of the spirit that we have. God, call us to your throne that we may receive a blessing that only you can give. In Christ's name, amen.